Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. There is a lesser-known biblical character early on in God's story of mankind. His name is Tira. And he is the father of a more famous man named Abram, who we'd later call Abraham, the father of our faith. And as Moses is telling us the the, the family lineage of Terah, he drops in this little footnote in Genesis 11. And it says, while his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. And Moses is really careful to make sure we know that Terah is still alive when his son Haran dies, and he has to bury bury his own son. One of the most messed up things in the universe is when a parent has to bury their own child. And then next the text says that Terah gets his whole family And they leave Ur of the Chaldeans, and they go to Canaan, the place where God has called them to. But then there's this little detail. This is verse 31. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Track with me. Um, They are on their way from Ur of the Chaldeans in Mesopotamia, and they're going to make this long journey to Canaan, which will be called the promised land later on in the story, but somewhere between Ur and Canaan is a town called Haran, which goes by the same name as Terah's deceased son. And the Bible says that they settled there. Now, it's likely that God has called the entire family to Canaan, not just Abraham. But for whatever reason, Terah gets stuck in Haran. It's strange. Like, imagine I tell you that I'm going to move my family to Denver. I'm not, just FYI. But imagine we set out, we pack up our belongings, we get the moving trucks, and we're at, we stop for the night in Amarillo, which is roughly halfway, a little, little more than halfway. And I wake up the next morning in Amarillo, and I go, hey, babe, what's not to like about Amarillo? Let's just stay here. It would be strange, wouldn't it, to stop there, whatever you feel about Amarillo, now, now, maybe it's a coincidence that Tira stops and settles there in the town bearing his son's name, Haran. Maybe it's a coincidence, but maybe it's not. I think it's not. And then you get to one of the most tragic lines in the text, verse 32. The days of Tira were 205 years And Terah died in Haran. So so he never moves on. He never arrives to the place God's called him. 
He never gets to his destiny, which is going to happen for him in Canaan. And maybe, maybe, it's because he never worked through his biggest relational wound, the loss of his son. It's an unresolved yesterday. It's a loss that must have defined him in that he couldn't get over it. He couldn't get past it. And so he decides, and I'm saying this in a metaphorical sense, to live in the past. To settle in the town that bears his deceased son's name, he decides against moving forward where God had called he and his family, and he settles down halfway to healing, halfway to hope, halfway to freedom. He got stuck in the moment, and so he decides to live in a kind of halfway house, and then he dies. There. Haran. Halfway. You know, a halfway house is meant to be a transitional space. A place that you go for a while to recover, to have accountability, um, to get your life back together, to recover, and so that you can move forward. And you try to grow a bit, you try to become a better version of yourself so you can move on. You're not supposed to live long in a halfway house. You're supposed to gather yourself to move forward in life, to move forward from whatever got you in the halfway house to begin with. I think it's true that some of us in this room some of us in the tent, out in the lobby, watching this online. Some of us are living in a halfway house emotionally. That we got our hearts broken. We experienced some relational pain, some relational brokenness. We've lost faith. We've lost trust. We've had personal failures. We've had serious relational Baggage, shame even, guilt even. Maybe it's loss that we've suffered. And for whatever reason, we've never moved on to healing, to freedom, to the abundant life. We got stuck there halfway. And I think that it's time to move forward. That it's time for some of you on this day to start today to move on because halfway to healing is no place to live. But some of us have settled there and I would say to you, hurting one, broken one, distraught one, confused one, disoriented one, that you should not settle for less than God's best for your life. That you don't allow anything to stop you from 
going there. And there is just wherever God has purposed for your life to go. It's time to pack up. It's time to dust yourself off. It's time to wipe away the tears. It's time to stop the mourning. It's time to move on so that you don't live and die stuck halfway in Haran. After his dad dies, um, Abram, we call him Abraham, Abram decides he's not getting stuck where his dad got stuck. And so the word of the Lord comes to him, and it says in Genesis 12, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land, to the land he was supposed to go to the first time. I will show you, and I will, say this with me, I will make of you, because that's what God does when we go, I'll get up, and I'll go. I won't stay here any longer. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those uh, who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I'll curse. And in you, which, by the way, is very significant in the nation of Israel today. People have attacked them, and I know there's a lot of people all over, in both sides of that that are innocent people, but people have attacked them, and God says, I'm going to come after the folks who attack my, my people. Amen, somebody? So we're praying, by the way, for the nation of Israel. And, and he says, and in you all the families of the earth shall be, say it with me, blessed. There's this part of me that wonders, the curious part of my sort of imagination that wonders, what would have happened if Terah had gone all the way to where God was calling his family? Maybe instead of living in the past in the loss of one son, he would move forward from there and get to bear witness to the great legacy that God was going to give his other son. And maybe he would have played a huge role in all of that unfolding, but we'll never know. Because he couldn't get past his past. And there is a price to pay, everybody, for not moving past the past. So the Bible says in verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Notice this, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And you're never too old, never too far gone to move on, to move past your past. Now, now it's important, I think, everyone, that we end this relationship series here. Felt like the Lord said three weeks ago, this is what you're going to end with. And I think the reason it's true is because some of us want to move forward in relationships. One of us, some of us want to grow in our relationships. Um, some of us want to have healthy relationships because we don't right now. But a big part of the reason we haven't been successful is we got stuck with hurts and habits and hang-ups in our hearts from the past. And some of you, if you're being honest, would admit, Danny, I'm stuck. I'm stuck right now. 
Your past is defining you in that you've never really moved past it. The, the, the divorce is defining you. The, the failure is defining you. The affair is defining you. The loss of a loved one is defining you. The way your family dynamics were um, is defining you. Those schoolyard dynamics define you. The abuse, the mistakes defining you. Some of you have had something that's happened in your past relationally that's hung with you like a millstone around your neck all of your life. And for whatever reason, and I don't know why people do this exactly. I know I have. For whatever reason, we just took our bags there at the place of our wound. We stopped halfway to healing, and we unpacked there. And I just got to tell you that you were made for more than life in Haran. I can think of four major reasons why people get stuck in the past. Um, first is personal failures that, that we, we inflicted on ourselves. The second is deep disappointment, major disappointments, dreams that were broken, things that collapsed in on itself, unhealed relational wounds. A lot of this comes from childhood trauma, relational trauma from family dynamics, and then the last one is loss. Failure, disappointment, unhealed wounds, and loss. Um, the past has serious power in our lives. In fact, the entire field of psychology is based on the premise that the past impacts the present and the future. The past has serious power, but I want to say this to you but only whatever power you give it by your ruminations, by your focus, by dwelling. I, I want to finish today by talking through a story from the Bible that illustrates for us how we can start the process of getting past our past. I'm not saying that what we're going to say today is the be-all, end-all. It's not. But if it's possible that it could start the process, um, then I would take that as a win. There's a guy um, from the text named uh, Peter. He's one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He's one of the top kind of three closest guys to Jesus. He's, he's kind of this brash, uh, bold, um, kind of obnoxious sometimes. He's prone to saying the, the things he doesn't really mean, and he's prone to not following through with the things that he does say, but he's got heart, he's got passion, he's got zeal. And, 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 and despite his little idiosyncrasies, Jesus is patient with him, has big plans for him. And so I, I want to pick up on the back end of the part of the story I want to focus on today of his story. In John 21, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter is confused by this because here he is sitting on a beach after having caught a bunch of fish and had a breakfast of fish that, that Jesus prepares for them, Jesus has resurrected from the, day he's, from the dead. He's come out of the grave and he's met with his disciples here on this beach. And this is the third time he's asked Peter this question, the same exact question. See, and Peter had already wholeheartedly answered yes twice. Like, what, what else can I say? 
I've said yes twice. And I think it's true that with these questions, Jesus is putting his finger on a very tender wound in Peter's heart because Peter, Peter's personal failure on the night that Jesus was betrayed, went through a sham trial, and then the next day was crucified. Peter failed Jesus horrifically on the night of Jesus' greatest needs. He had denied that he ever even knew him. Three times people said, hey, aren't you with him? And three times, he's like, I don't even know that guy. And as a matter of fact, the gospel writer Luke says that on the third time he was accused, here's what he says. Man, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. And, and immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, which is significant. And, and I'm, I've always missed this part right here before. I don't know if I've ever seen this. And the Lord turned and looked at him. So he's right there. And when he hears him deny him the third time, he looks him in the face. And Peter remembers the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This failure of Peter's has shaken him to his core those words, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even know this man had probably kept him up at night in the days after. So, so painful was this personal failure that he'd actually quit the disciple business. And he'd gone back to fishing his first trade. Like, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I'm damaged beyond repair. And so, so on the other side of all that, when Jesus asks uh, Peter for the third time, do you love me, Peter? Peter grieved that maybe I've, the damage I've done is irreparable, right? I've forever lost the trust of Jesus. He doesn't believe me anymore. But Peter did love Jesus, and Jesus knew that he did before he asked the question. So what probably felt like an interrogation to Peter, I think, was an act of grace. Three times he denied him. Three times Jesus gives them opportunity to say, I love you, Jesus. Amazing grace. Dr. Henry Cloud, this world-class Christian psychologist, leadership guru, he writes much on this subject, by the way. If you're in this area of life and you're going through, trying to get through, he's got a book called Boundaries. He's got another book called Unnecessary Endings. He's got another book called Changes That Heal, all of which speak to this dynamic. But but he says that there are three necessary ingredients to getting past the past, particularly past personal failures like Peter's, right? He says it's, it's truth, it's time, and it's grace. Truth, time, grace. And we're going to need to know these three things if we're going to get past our past. The first is truth. During, before all of this happened, um, during the, the Last Supper, the, the supper that we commemorate with communion, we did last week, G Jesus says, hey, all of you guys here at this meal with me, every single one of you are going to run away on account of me. When the pressure comes on, you're going to flee. And Peter, brash, bold Peter says, no, not me. Come on. And he's like, whoa, come on. Hua, whatever, you know, whatever he's doing, right? I'm going to be here to the end. You can, you can count. I got your back. And then Jesus looks right to him and says, hey, bro, before the rooster crows three times, 
you're going to deny me. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And he just tells Peter the truth about Peter. Peter didn't want to hear it, doesn't believe it, doesn't want to process it. But Jesus knows that Peter is weak on some level. And in fact, if you look at the entire story of Peter's biblical life, I mean, you see that he has a pattern that he fails in tight spots. He does the wrong things. He makes the wrong decision. He, he, he acts in haste. He cuts a dude's ear off, everybody. Takes a dude's sword and chops a brother's ear off. I don't know if you know that, but he did. And so, so Jesus just shoots him straight, bro. He, you aren't tough as you think you are. And the reason he does this is because he knows that the patterns of failure are going to continue if you don't deal with them straight and with honesty. They're just going to keep cycling through your life, Peter, Danny, everybody else in the room, right, out there, right? What about your story are you not proud of? What part of the story, of your story that you hope that no one ever finds out about? I will say this from my own personal experience, that it will be difficult at best and impossible at worst to get past the past until you face up to the truth about you. Until you own the part of your story, it will continue to own you. A few years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine about this dynamic, and he says, hey, I, I learned something about this. Let me share it with you. I'm on the phone. I start writing it down because it's genius, and he says, first, there is a wound that happens in our hearts, and the wound could be self-inflicted, or it could be the, the deeds of someone else, something somebody said or did, but there is trauma. There is a wound that gets created, got established. That The second thing, he says, is there's got to be agreement that there's a wound. Right? I agree, I've been traumatized, I've been damaged, I've been broken, something happened to me. I don't deny the wound, so there's an agreement. And this is the truth part of that. You gotta get to the truth of it. You get a jump start on releasing the past when you take responsibility, when you see that the ball for healing and freedom is in your court. You set the stage for letting go. But what happens to a lot of us is in the moment we could step into freedom, we pose. And this is where the problems start, that when you've lived your life without facing the truth of you, facing up to it, dealing with it, getting help for it, bringing it to the light of day, you begin to pose, which is to say that you act according to the wound and because of the wound. Now, let me explain that. The unhealed wounds of the heart whether self-inflicted or caused by another, become the fount from which life flows, which is why uh, we read last week in Solomon's writings, Proverbs 4, that he says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do, what? Flows from it. Jesus says in Luke 6, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the wound, if, if not treated, if not dealt with, if not brought under the light of day, becomes your identity. And the wounds of the heart become the lens through which you observe all of life. So Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, he said, he's praying this long prayer, and he prays this weird thing. He says, and I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which God has called you to. The eyes of the heart. Strange turn of phrase. But what Paul knows 
is that if you don't get the, he- the wound healed in the heart, you will look through the lens of broken, damaged, toxic, poison all of your days. And so he says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart will get enlightened to see that there's hope for this. And, and, and this is obviously mostly a subconscious thing. Without even knowing that we're doing it, the wound begins to direct our thoughts, our actions, our belief about ourselves, our belief about other people. So we pose all through life because of the wound, and often we settle because of the wound, and we get stuck halfway, Heron. So, we, so, so, so truth is important because we can't just keep sticking our head in the sand, acting like what happened to us or what happened because of us or through us is no big deal, like it doesn't affect us. So we minimize, so we stuff, so we, we ignore. And, and, and the religious leaders in, in the prophet Jeremiah's day were doing the same thing. In Jeremiah 6, 14, it says that they they dress the wounds of my, God speaks through Jeremiah, they dress the wounds of my people as though it were not serious, their wound. He says, they say, peace, peace, when there is in fact no peace. Stop living in denial because Jesus says it's the truth that will set us free. So no, we don't get to forget about our past because some of us have tried to do that all our lives till this moment and that hasn't worked. And it's not because you're defective at forgetting the past. It's because as long as you have your memory, you can't forget the past. It's part of your life. It's part of my life. And God doesn't roll up into our story going, hey, today I'm gonna erase chapter two as though it never happened. It's not how it works. And when we try to ignore it, like Peter stuck in his patterns and habits, we get in a cycle of unhealthy relationships and we go from unhealthy to unhealthy to unhealthy, bad habits, hurts, hangups, when what we need most, when what will break the cycle is truth. And I don't know what you're going through today, but Jesus does. And I wonder what word of truth he would share with you today about you. And I wonder if you would hear it. Because the only way to get free from the past is to stare right at it and own it. Not responsibility for it if it wasn't your failure, but if it was that you own that. But, but, but the, the disappointment, the loss, the wounds, you just gotta say, and that's me, that's my story. But I'm not gonna let it own me. And I'm not gonna ruminate, and I'm not gonna dwell there, and I'm not gonna live there. I'm gonna learn from it, I'm gonna grow from it, And that's going to set you up to to change your mindset to walk forward. Because listen, God has a freedom plan for you. The bells of freedom rang on the day Jesus died on the cross for you. And that bell is still ringing. Here's another truth about your past that you need to know. And you do know this. You've heard this. But you are not what you've done. And you are not what's been done to you. You are who God says you are. Your past mistakes don't have to be your identity. The past that's been part of your life doesn't have to be your future. You can be healed by the power of Jesus. The second ingredient, this is much quicker now, is time. Between the time that Jesus calls Peter and the time that Peter becomes the leader of this incredible movement, there's a lot of time that passes. 
And the healing that Jesus is going to offer you will radically change you, will radically change the direction of your life, but it will not change most of the time overnight. We know this from our own lives. It takes time to heal from a broken heart. It takes time to heal from a devastating personal loss. It takes time to heal from from horrible family conflict. It takes time to heal from abuse, right? You, You don't get to go from A to C, everybody. You gotta pass through B. Brokenness. You gotta pass through And that takes time. And we just have to name that. We have to see that. That we're going to have to stick with it day after day. Tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And we may need to get help with that. We may need to talk to a therapist or a counselor. We may need to join a freedom group, which we have a a bunch of them. It's going to, always remembering though, it's going to take time. And almost always, please lean into this, almost always it will get expedited in in a thorough discipleship process where you walk hand in hand with people who are on the same path, going your same direction. And oftentimes they're also dealing with the same thing you're dealing with. And I need to say this to some of you today about the past. You can't change the past. You can't fix what's broken in the past. But you can turn it over to God. Someone molested you or assaulted you And that's a tragedy beyond tragedies and painful beyond words. But we we can't change what happened to us. You lost your marriage and your dream was to have a marriage and a family. And you're in agony because you lost your marriage. And I I ache with you. I've walked through that that journey with so many people. Uh, But you can't change it. You made... Maybe you made a devastating mistake that you hurt people with. And and you would give anything to go back to that that time and and, and get a do-over. You can't change it, but I'm telling you, you can move forward. The power of Christ can be with you to give you the strength and the courage to ask for forgiveness or to give forgiveness and move on. Now, they say that time heals all wounds. I don't know if that's true altogether. I think time lessens the pain but we learn to cope better with the pain. But, but I do believe that the length of time that it takes to heal is partially up to us as individuals, meaning we make decisions about getting help. We make decisions about getting honest. We make decisions about turning things over, genuinely turning them over to God. Not, not sort of paying lip service to that, but going, God, I don't know what else to do, but give this to you. We make the right choices that dramatically speed up the healing process. So Jesus can't erase, he's not going to erase our past from our memories, I mean. But he can redeem. He can redeem the past. Which brings us to the last word, grace. I'll end with grace. If you've been in church for any length of time, and I know that not all of you have, then you know you think about the word grace and you associate it with the idea of forgiveness, but grace is way more than that. One of the best definitions I've ever heard for grace is God's power to do that which you cannot do for yourself. Grace is God's power to do for you a thing that you cannot do for yourself. 
the past, um, the reason we end with grace is because we cannot heal or redeem our past on our own. The past, for some of us, will, will and has absolutely crippled us because we didn't understand grace. If it weren't for grace, Peter never steps up on the day of Pentecost and delivers that explosive movement-launching sermon where 3,000 people get saved and baptized in one day. How does he move on from his own failure? Truth, time, and the grace of Christ. You know, the truth of us is that we tend to avoid the places where we feel pain or shame or sin or darkness. We want to go around it. We want to avoid it. We want to try to deny it. We want to stuff it. But the first place when, Je- when Jesus is coming to heal you, the first place he's going to go is the place that you try to hide. Not, not to bring up the past to cause pain or shame to the situation, but to bring grace to the situation. In the same way that when you go to the doctor, you have to say to him, this is where I hurt, or this is what's wrong, so he can know what to do. And it's not that God doesn't already know what you need. It's just that he wants you to say it, to bring it up. This is what he does with Peter on the beach. He doesn't pretend Peter's failure didn't happen. He goes there immediately, and he helps them there so that wherever there is relational pain, that's where Jesus is going to go. Wherever there is bitterness or brokenness because of divorce, that's where he's going to go. Wherever there is sexual addictions, he's going to head straight there. Jesus doesn't avoid our sin or our brokenness or our pain. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't let us run from it for very long. Instead, he moves towards it and he finds us in it and he dumps grace on us. Here's the thing about God. God is a redeemer, meaning God takes what is broken, what is damaged, what the enemy has stolen. He takes it and he restores it and he brings it back. And and what he does is he takes what the enemy used against us to destroy us. He redeems it and he uses it against the enemy. He takes our broken stories and he redeems them to help others. And and he'll do that when we start telling our stories, when we start to tell people the truth of us and our painful stories get used to help others who are going through the same thing, which is why we're asking for your stories. Grace, the power of God to do that which we cannot do for ourselves. We're too broken, we're too lost, there's too much pain, we think there's been too much time, the addiction is too strong, but it's the power of God to come find you when you've run away, the power of God to bring you back from the grave, back from the edge, back from the shame, back from the, from the sin. That's where God's healing always, always begins. And you need to know this. You need to get this picture of our God coming to us, not in condemnation or disappointment, no matter how messy the past is. He comes with the surprising and relentless tenderness of grace. Showing up in our lives where and when we least expect him 
God can do that for you because God has already done that for you. Just as he did for Peter. Truth, time, grace. So where do you go with your broken heart? Where do you go with your shame? Where do you go with your unanswered questions? You do what what Peter did. You bring it to Jesus. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.